Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Brazil. This is the show where I get to talk about sports, I get to talk about business, and I get to talk about everything in between. And what a perfect guest to do that. I have Trent Murray. He is a senior writer for East, the Esports Observer. Trent, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm fantastic. Really excited to be here and chat with you. Hell yeah. Very, uh, very thankful. Our, our, our mutual friend Turner put us in contact. You said, hey, I'm looking to get on more podcasts. He said, hey, I was just on this awesome podcast the other day. <laughs> and only a couple days later, here we are. So very excited to talk to Trent about esports, his journey in esports, but specifically the business side of esports, because that's what the Esports Observer does, right? Obviously, um, also have a pretty sweet partnership with the Sports Business Journal. So some very, very cool things going on there. But Trent, the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? I love sports for the storylines. I, I think there is no place that you can get the the drama that comes with sports. You know, Brett Favre after his father passed, those sorts of things. And as we'll talk about, that's the exact same reason that I fell in love with esports is those same storylines of triumph, of teamwork, of rivalry, uh, that, you know, don't hit as hard in anything else, uh, are, are true to life and organic in sports. It, it really is. Uh, that, that's why I love it so much, too. Like, why do people, and no offense to anyone who does, but why do you watch the Kardashians? Like, we all know it's kind of fake. Like, turn on March Madness. Like, if yep. you have not been watching, this has been absolutely nuts these last couple weekends, and I've been watching every second I can because it's exactly that. It's it's pure drama. It's live. It's It's you know, kids messing up, it's adults doing things they should or should not have done. And it just makes it so, so, so much more interesting. And as you said, that's kind of what got you into esports. So you and I are only a couple years, I think you're a couple years older than I am. I guess I'm kind of curious, like, where did you find out about that stuff where you were younger, right? Like me and my friends used to play video games. And mm -hmm. now I find out that technically, because we were competing, yada, 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 we don't need to get into technicalities or anything. But where did you first start to hear and learn and find those stories of drama and intrigue, you know, back when you were maybe just a little bit younger. So I've been a gamer my whole life. It's the story of anybody that's in esports is, you know, Super Nintendo, Duck Hunt, all Let's the go. way up to World of Warcraft in college and those sorts of things. And then come towards the end of college, I got into a game called League of Legends, which is one of the most popular games in the world, one of the biggest esports uh, and at the time, I was just playing it. It was a game that uh, my girlfriend at the time, now wife's brother, played. I wanted to connect with him a little bit more. We started playing. I started looking up guides on how to get better, found a website that actually had a professional team that was competing in tournaments. So I was like, oh, there's tournaments for this. Let me watch some of that and see how they play so that I can get better at the game. And then that team started doing vlogs where they would introduce who they are. They moved together to a team house in New York where they're all living together under one roof as, you know, 20 somethings playing video games all day um, and getting to know their stories and, and their drive to compete a little bit more, got me more into that. And then uh, that year, League of Legends had its first ever world championship where teams from North America, Europe, China, uh, Southeast Asia all got together and competed against one another. And it was really incredible to see, uh, you know, I'd only been watching North America and North America plays this one style, you know, to put it in like football, it, North America plays a really strong defense, whereas Europe 
plays through their running back. And it's a style that if you only watch North America, you've never seen this style mm -hmm. of football played before. And it completely opens your mind to the, all these new possibilities that are happening. And Europe took the, the victory that year with this strategy that no one had any, any preparation for. Uh, and this kid with crazy long hair called Shushay just shocked the world with this strategy that no one had ever seen before. And I was instantly hooked and said, okay, I don't really fully understand what this is, but I know I absolutely have to be a part of it. And from there, I just went full tilt and fought my way into working in esports full time any way that I could. I, I love that. And I think it's really important, right, for people to understand like the, I always love connecting dots, kind of seeing how things end up happening, right? And as you said, like you wanted to connect with your, your now wife's brother a little bit more. So you just picked up this game that looked kind of cool. And here we are, you know, however many years later, you're writing for one of the most, uh, you know, authoritative figures in, uh, in all of esports e business. It's just crazy how those kind of things happen. And I think, right, like, Esports is such a it's a funny term, right? Like football, mm -hmm. depending on what I guess where in the world you are, football is football and it's always football. And and yes, there's different ways to play it, but in esports, it's like, well, what the hell is esports? I mean, are you talking about League of Legends, Dota, Rocket League? Are you talking about Super Smash? Like, what are we talking about? Call of Duty, Fortnite? Like, it's just such a ridiculous I think it's like it's just like saying, like, I like sports, right? Like yep. it's so so much diff more difficult. I guess how did you like when did you, you know, so you, you you were into you know duck hunt like we all were, right? First off, how did duck hunt work back in the day? Did anybody like <laughs> think about that for a second? You were literally taking a gun, shooting it at your TV, and it was just a giant tube and it worked every time. Like this was like the eighties, man. Like that was nuts, but that's neither here nor there. It's all sorcery. Um, Right. Like sincerely, me and my friends, we kind of got stoned one day and we're like, how does this work? Like, how did that happen back in the day? And that was college. Um, but um, one of those things, like, how did you when you started to play like League of Legends and then you started to do like, how did you start to expand just into different games? Because, right, like esports is such a broad term. And now you you kind of talk about the whole industry. The industry is gigantic with different publishers and games and all these different things happening. When did you start to like realize like if I want to work in this space, I can't just play League of Legends. I can't just play World of Warcraft. I have to learn about and kind of dip my toes into each of these things. I think it started out. So you, you touched on something that I think is really important for anyone coming into esports to understand is esports is the exact same term as sports. It's yes. just with an E in front of it. So just like there's football and hockey and basketball and golf, there's League of Legends and Counter-Strike and Dota and Wild Rift and all of these different titles. And so for the most part, people focus on one game. You know, if, if you're a football writer, you write about football, you're, most people aren't a sports writer. They're a football writer, mm -hmm. they're a basketball correspondent. And that's how I started in, in eSports was League of Legends. I dove headfirst into League of Legends. I went to any website that would let me put writing up on their website for free uh, until I got some contracts. And I dove deep into League of Legends. It was doing analysis, player interviews, everything like that. And then when the contracts started to dry up in League of Legends, I just had to start looking elsewhere for where the opportunities were. And one of the things that I really tried to make myself do in the early days of my career was find what the next game might be. Nice. So rather than going to Counter-Strike, which is a decade old game that has a lot of established writers in it, I said, okay, well, here's this new game that's coming up. Let me be one of the first writers writing about that. And by chasing those trends, I just sort of very naturally ended up being someone who covers 
a wide range of the esports space. And what I've learned over time is that just like in sports, those people are fewer and farther between. And so there's a lot more value, especially on the business side. Mm -hmm. uh, you really have to understand the entire landscape of esports um, to really effectively cover the business side of it. Because even if you, even if you know about the biggest games on computer, on PC, uh, that's completely irrelevant if you want to talk about what's going on in India where everyone plays on their phone. And so you have to know about mobile esports. So it just sort of was a very natural progression of if I want to be in this space and I want to have value and stand out from all the other writers that are trying to get the fighting me for the same jobs, the best way I can do that is know more about more esports than anyone else rather than just diving deep into one game. And then with the business side of things, right? Like it is, it is so fast moving, right? Especially over this last year with the pandemic, I'm very excited to get to talk to you about that in a little bit, but even just like when I honestly don't remember the first time I heard the word esports, I remember it being kind of weird and being like, why would you want to pay someone? Like, why would you want to watch someone play video games? And then I was like, well, I watched like 350 pound dudes just hit each other over and over again. And I love that. So who the hell am I to judge? Right. So you, you do what you want to do. And then when I, for me personally, when I started to notice it the most was, um, it was that Ninja Drake, yep. Juju Smith Schuster. Um, and I just remember seeing Fortnite all over Barstool and I was just like, what, what are we doing here? And it, like, it looked like fun. I mean, me back in college, my, my buddies played a boatload of Minecraft. Now I don't know mm -hmm. kind of where that fits in the the gamut of things but that was always fun watching them just like create stuff you know i'm doing reading a book looking at my phone or whatever and then look up it's like hey look i made sonic like, that's kind of cool but um you know just kind of like with with that aspect of this always being so fast moving and needing to look at different things i think Rick, right you were looking at the trends you're looking at what games coming out next to find a way to put yourself ahead of everyone else and, and one thing i want to also just kind of touch upon again is you said you were doing, you were writing for free just to get your mm -hmm. name out there, just to put your name out there. You had to make money too, right? Like, I don't know your personal situation or anything, but if you're doing that for free, I hope you then have a full-time job on the side, quote unquote. Uh, and I know that you did have a couple of those, let's call them normal people jobs. I'm using air quotes for everyone that's listening. How, what was that like? Like kind of like having a side hustle, knowing like, I want to do this, but I have to do this to be able to be able to do, you know, what I want to do for the rest of my life, or for, at least for the foreseeable future. What was that like? And, and how did you kind of cope with that on the inside and understanding like the nine to five was the worst part of your day. It's everything else that you're living for. Well, fortunately, that has sort of been my life forever. You know, I did school so, and endured school so that I could go home and play video games or play with my friends. I, you know, got through college so that I could play World of Warcraft um, you know, it, most of us that if you were not in a job that we love are getting through the day to do the thing that we like and our, you know, we have our hobbies, we have our pastimes, we have our friends or our family. That is, you know, where we derive our joy from. And we not all of us are lucky enough to be in a job that, you know, fulfills our mm -hmm. creative needs or our emotional needs the same way that a passion does. And so for me, that's that I just sort of took a lot of that into Esports, and this is something that everyone will tell you, the more you work in gaming, the less time you have to play video games. And that was basically what happened is my video game playing time became video game watching and analyzing time and writing time. 
So all of my hobby time and my lunch breaks and my in-betweens of work and my Saturday afternoons and my Sunday afternoons became what, putting my laptop on the table with a notebook to write about what was happening in this League of Legends tournament uh, and full credit to my very understanding wife who, who did not agree to marry someone chasing an esports dream but rolled with it uh, all the way through. And I, I think that's the only reason I was able to do it was I, I knew instantly that this was what I wanted to do. And that had never happened to me. You know, I was 22 and knew what I wanted to do for the rest of my life was esports. Um, and I think for anybody that's had that crystallizing moment at any point in their life, it becomes very easy to make the time for something that you want to do. 24 hours in a day, man, just matters how we all use them, right? And I think that part is very important. And, and right, like we've, uh, we've all been kind of stuck at home for, for lack of a better term for the last, uh, I don't know, let's call it year and change. If you didn't start <laughs> figuring out what you wanted to do, or if you didn't try to figure out something to do, um, you kind of missed the boat, I think, because it seems like things are starting to get closer to normal. Crossing my fingers, really just kind of hoping to speak that one into existence. We'll see what happens. But with, um, with the opportunity, as you said, you know, you, you were putting out free content, you were doing whatever you could, making all these connections, but unfortunately you weren't able to play video games anymore. And it's kind of funny whenever I speak with people in, you know, just the quote unquote normal sports industry, um, that's something that people always say too, right? It's, you know, I, I, you know, I'm a huge Giants fan, but I had to go work for the Eagles because it was there. Mm -hmm. and I don't really hate the Eagles as much as I did anymore because I know all the people and I know all the players and they're all, turns out they're good people. I just hate them because they're rivals. And what was that aspect like, Rick, right? You wanted to work in esports because you loved playing video games so much. And then that was kind of the love of it was taken away, but you still had this desire to work in this community. What is it about that community? What is it about esports that held you on even when you weren't able to do the thing you loved as much as you were doing prior? I think what I learned about myself was that really what I love most of all is learning. And which is funny because I was atrocious at school. I hated school. Um, and maybe that's a different conversation for a different podcast about education and how we do things. But I love learning. I love learning new systems. I love learning new vernacular and these sorts of things. And what esports really allows you to do and what gaming in general does for you is video games are just education on how to solve a unique problem. You know, Mario's princess got captured and you can only save her by jumping over this thing and jumping on a turtle. And you've got to learn how to do that properly. Now you have to do that in water. Now you have to do that while there's a fire stick going around in front of you. And you get to iterate on that process over and over again. And that's really what the fun of video games are, is something's going wrong and you are in a safe space to iterate on solving that problem. And so what esports is, is that cranked up to 11 where every couple of months there's a brand new game that comes out that now I have to learn the systems in that game, the relevant players that are going to be involved in that game, where it fits in the landscape of esports. And then I've got to learn all the vernacular. I've got to learn what, you know, a quarter circle forward Hadouken means for a fighting game. And then I've got to also learn what a B rush bomb site means for counter-strike and all of these different terminologies. It's literally like learning a new language. Um, but someone pays me to do it now. Nice. So it's, it's, you know, that I think is what really, rather than losing out on getting to play video games in favor of having to write about them, I just got to learn differently and both are equally fun for me. 
getting to write about them getting to write about them because many exactly. people would, would kill to have that job and and what was it like when you first like as you said you did stuff for free and then you started to get some contracts how cool was it just getting that paycheck being like hey trent we'd like you we'd like to give you money to do this thing you really like to do how cool is that it's incredible i think anybody that's been able to turn a passion into a business can can speak to really what that first you know 50 bucks isn't going to pay your health insurance but man, is it incredible when the first person says the work that you were willing to do for free? No, we think that actually has monetary value. We think that you are worth putting investment into regardless of how much it is. Um, there, There's really not any experience like it. I think it's fantastic. And did you kind of, uh, you know, you're writing for other sites, but were you writing for like your own blog? Did you have anything personal that you were kind of building either upfront in the background, anywhere that it's somewhere like, Hey, I, like I have stuff here, here and here, but also here's just a collection of my work sitting on this website that I created. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had my own blog for the last several years before I got hired full-time at the Esports Observer. Um, before that, I actually thought I wanted to be an esports coach. So a lot of my time, you know, I was, I was writing to get some extra money and be, you know, be paid to be an esports, but really where my passion was, was trying to be a coach and work with teams. Um, so the, for the first several years, I wasn't doing as much of, you know, creating my own work that I probably should have been. Um, but then once the, I realized that coaching really wasn't the opportunity for me, uh, I, I launched my own blog and, and made sure to, you know, at least three to four times a week, I had content going up on my own site in addition to seeking out freelance mm -hmm. opportunities. I love that. And then, so talk to me, man, you get hired April, 2018, if I'm not mistaken from the, by the esports observer, uh, as you said, you were really paying attention more to interviews and analysis and strategy of these games. The esports observer really pays more attention to the business side. How did those initial first conversations go? Like you were like, Hey, like I want to write. And they're like, well, you write about analysis and you enter like how how did you get that opportunity to be hired obviously you put the work in for multiple years but it wasn't quite in that same vein i guess so what what were those initial conversations like so I, I, part of the the fortunate thing for me is that there really aren't any business analysts in esports or at least nice. there weren't when i mm -hmm. when i got started you know it, it's the reality of esports as a whole this is a passion fueled industry from from top to bottom. The only reason that esports exists is because a bunch of college age students were passionate about, enough about StarCraft to put together tournaments at a loss in a hotel ballroom, and now millionaires are paying attention to it. Um, so the same thing happened in journalism. There weren't, you know, people didn't go to college to be esports journalists there are some students now doing that and there are people that have gone back to school to learn journalism, but there really weren't, you know, people with a decade of experience as a finance reporter that were working in the esports space. And so we've all kind of had to learn on the job and the esports observer recognized that and something I think we've done uh, before I joined and, and since is recognize the importance of on the job training and that's really, I, I got a crash course in business writing and had about 37 tabs up the first time I had to write about somebody's earnings report, uh, Googling terms and, and everything and really educating myself on the job, which fortunately is something that I really enjoy doing. Uh, and, and you can't, because of the way that esports works, you can't 
fully ignore the business side of it mm-hmm. because sustainability is so important. Who's paying the, for the prize money? How? Who's supporting esports? How big a deal is it that Nissan has come in? Uh, you know, it's very different from an established business where these these sponsorship deals are just a transaction. What a lot of the esports community views a brand deal like BMW partnering with five different esports teams, it's recognition because gaming for so long was this ostracized thing. Uh, and all of us that are, you know, older than 15 remember when it wasn't cool to play video games. And so every single one of these deals is really a recognition that the thing that we've loved and got picked on for so long has value now. So even when you're writing about in-game tournaments and things, you can't help but recognize the importance of these business deals that are happening. Um, so even even as I was focused more on that side, I was aware of a lot of the business mm-hmm. things that were going on and, and a lot of the opportunities that were being presented on that side. Right. And because if money is injected into something, more opportunities come, more marketing dollars are there, more people can see it. Uh, I also just want to say I'm a very big StarCraft fan. Uh, back in the day, I know all the cheat codes, so I could pretty much do whatever <laughs> I wanted. That was a lot of fun. Um, I was like 10. So, yep. you know, I'm sorry I wasn't that great at StarCraft, but it was a blast. And uh, it was it was almost so much fun. And I think the, the, the business side of esports is just so, so interesting to me, right? Because it is so fast moving it's so fast paced and as you said now all these millionaires are seeing is like wait a second how many eyeballs what's a twitch a concurrent view those things sound interesting let me learn about those and then they're finding out how many people are actually watching some of these events and now we're starting to see companies uh my friends over at efuse they're doing some really cool stuff and they just had all these athletes just inject millions of dollars into what they're Mm -hmm. doing because it's pretty cool and so Seeing these startups, these teams, these colleges all start to come together and put gain more and more popularity, recognition, and money. What was that like when you started in 2018, right? As you said, there really weren't any business anal- analysts in the esports space. What was it like to now see, you know, three years later, also congratulations, three-year anniversary coming up. What was that like three years later now kind of comparing what 2018 April looked like to 20, uh, 2021 April is going to look like and how... How much has just the business aspect and and the the people in it? How much has that grown? It's astronomical. I it, the you mentioned it. The crystal the crystallizing moment for a lot of people was two things. It was first it was the Ninja Fortnite uh, with Drake mm-hmm. that made everyone aware of gaming and that this is something that we need to be paying attention Drake to likes it. So, so do I, right? Yeah. <laughs> if Drake likes it, then there must be something we need to, we need to understand about this. And then it was the Fortnite world championship. And, uh, you know, a 16 year old kid wins $3 million in a $30 million tournament that is watched by so many people. We need to be aware of what's going on here. He's, he goes on, you know, Jimmy Fallon and just the awareness of competitive gaming blows up in a year compared to where it was. And the, the industry has been steadily growing for two decades um, and League of Legends played an important role earlier on in really kind of 
formalizing the modern era of esports, but it really was Fortnite that created this sudden surge of awareness from the outside. And then you had opportunities like the Overwatch League that allowed these big investors to, to put money in that grabbed headlines. And it's just continued to snowball from there with bigger and bigger brands coming in, recognizing the value of the space, renewing deals after they've dipped their toe in uh so i i think for for those of us that have loved gaming forever that that saw the league of legends world championship a decade ago and recognized that there was something special here that foresaw you know the es e, the espn of esports becoming something that could be a reality uh this is all well within our expected parameters for what the industry should be like um but it just continues to evolve so quickly and things can change so fast that there's there's no way to know even a month from now what the next monumental shift is going to be. And that's what I think makes it such an exciting space to to really be invested in. And it, it is exciting to say the least, right? And I, I have a friend of mine, Reed Trimble, shout out Reed. He's an awesome dude. And I always just, like every couple months, I just reach out to him because it seems like every three to four months, like, oh, it's like, yeah, this the whole thing's been turned on its head. Everything's completely different now. And now we're doing all this stuff. It's like, hey, how do you keep this shit straight at some point? But I'm always interested, right? Because now, you know, there's these, you know, you were talking about that League of Legends house. And now, you know, we have, we have the FaZe Clan, how like all these like different teams. So now if you could give the people and honestly myself a little bit of a crash course, right? Like, so we have these teams and sometimes they're competitive. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're there to create content and, and sometimes they're not. And then, then now we have like the, the Call of Duty League and the Overwatch League, which are now technically based in cities so it's like the toronto whatever's and the minnesota rockers and all these different things which is really interesting and i've 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 heard both sides of the coins like well it's cool because these billionaires that own football teams are like well that means we have to have an esports team here right because i'm in boston you're in boston and now we're gonna root for the team in boston and then it's like well who cares? We grew up on the internet. I can watch those kids over in Japan as much as I can watch the kids in, in California. And I live here in New York. So who the hell cares? So I guess just from that aspect of it, again, over the last three years, because I think it's a really interesting conversation we're having here with Trent Murray of like the business aspect. Why is that all starting to happen now? And and what have you seen in the background of positives and negatives from let's have physical locations, let's not have physical locations, let's have everything online, let's have these tournaments, like what the hell is going on in terms of the professional scene? And what do you think is going to happen next, I guess? Yeah, so it's, there are as many different models for professional esports as there are games that are that are played right. professionally. So the Overwatch League and the Call of Duty League have established these centrally located city-based teams as a mirror to traditional sports. There's the League of Legends Pro Leagues where all of the teams don't represent anything other than themselves and they all compete. So like the North American League of Legends League, everybody's in California. They head to the studio when we're not in a pandemic. They play on stage. They go back to their offices and practice and come back at the end of the week. And then they travel to China or wherever for the world championship at the end of the year. Um, and then you have things like fighting games that are a circuit where, you know, there's a tournament that will pop up this month and then they'll disappear for a month and a half and then they'll come back together at another big tournament in another city. Um, so there, every, and a lot of that is similar to traditional sports. You know, you have the tennis and, and golf circuits, you have the National Football League, you have the World Cup, all of those sorts of different ecosystems are mirrored in esports and 
nobody has really figured out what the correct model is. And I don't think there will be a correct model. Just like we said, it's not esports as this one giant glob of content. Each game is its own thing. I think the different fan bases and the different ways that each game works requires its own unique infrastructure mm-hmm. for the best way for that game to function. What I will say is that I think the one thing that the Overwatch League and Call of Duty League have done that I don't think a lot of people in esports were expecting, whether or not they succeed as leagues and get enough viewership and, and sponsorship revenue to sustain as leagues in in terms of profit, there is a barrier to a new user, to a new viewer acquisition that is reduced by connecting it to a city. You know, if you live in Houston and you have never touched Overwatch and you could not care less about Overwatch, if Houston wins the Overwatch World Championship, you're like, heck yeah, go Houston. Let's go Houston, Uh, yep. Yeah, if you find out that San Francisco has won the last two years in a row, let's go San Francisco. I'm a San Francisco fan. Let's check this out. Um, Maybe me and my buddies will go to a San Francisco shock match for something to do. Um, Cause it's probably going to be cheaper than, you know, getting basketball tickets and, you know, yeah, it's, I, I <laughs> it's something unique to do that we've never experienced mm-hmm. before, but go San Francisco. Oh, and they're up against, you know, X team that we, we don't like in another sport. There, there's a very easy connection point for someone that's not invested in esports um, that you don't have in any of the other games. But I think, Conversely, what esports has done a terrible job of over the last decade is telling people why they should care outside of that. Mm-hmm. Because the storylines in esports are as compelling as anything that you've seen in traditional sports. If, if we could talk about you know one or two storylines and I can just tell you the story and we pretend that it's not about an esports team, it's a Hollywood movie that you would pay to see. And you would think that it's about, you know, it, it's on par with Rudy and you're going to be crying at the end. Rudy was um, offsides, by the way. <laughs> Just going to throw that out there. So tell me what, I mean, I read the article, so I'll make sure to put it in the uh, the link to the show notes so everyone could check it out. Trent actually did. He wrote a piece on five um, esports storylines that should be turned into the movies, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so tell me, what was your what was your favorite one? Yeah. So uh the, the greatest story in esports right now is the story of OG esports, which is a Dota 2 team. And uh, so, again, removing esports from it, you've got this team of five people, these two friends that started a team together because they've been on teams, they've been opponents for years, decided that, you know, what, we want to play together and we want to win together. So we're going to form our own team, not with sponsors, not with investors. We're not going to wait to get signed by anyone else. We're going to make our own team and we're going to be together forever. And we're going to grind our way to the championship and be the best team in the world because of the power of our bond together. And they fight together for a long time. They try to sign other players. They just can't quite get there, but they're committed to each other. You know, they're pursuing this dream forged in the bonds of their friendship. And then you know, the Yankees of esports comes calling to one of them and says, Hey, you've been trying this thing on your own forever. Here's a whole lot of money. Come play for us. We value you. We recognize you. And he and one of the other players leave months before the biggest tournament of the year, take the talent away from the team, 
the team now doesn't have enough players to qualify for this tournament. And they say, and you know, the one guy that's left on the team says, no, I'm pursuing this dream. I set out to be a champion with my own team, believing in my own process. I'm going to do it. And he finds a kid from a, uh, Norwegian country from a country in Northern mm-hmm. Europe that has just been playing alone in his basement has never played on a team before, but he's got incredible talent says, come play with me. His coach who hasn't played a professional match in a long time comes off the bench to take one of the right. empty spots God. on the team. Keep and going. this is incredible. They go on to that year, not only defeat the team that, signed away two of their best players, but win the entire championship uh, and win $30 million, a $30 million prize pool. Each of them takes home $3 million by themselves. And then they come back the next year and win it again. That is amazing. I love it. it. You you can't, it's why we love sports. You can't Mm -hmm. make up these stories. And, uh, you know, again, it's, it's the power, the, the quote that's said when they win is my favorite thing in all of esports broadcasting. OG esports has won the international through the power of flowers and friendship. <sighs> and it's, you know, that's, the, that's the subheading of yeah. your movie. Yep. And, uh, and that's the thing that I think we haven't communicated enough to an average audience is somebody that doesn't care about sports is still going to watch the Super Bowl because it's the Super Bowl, and they're going mm-hmm. to understand the storyline of Tom Brady having the leg, you know, defending his legacy or securing his legacy as the greatest quarterback of all time. Even if you don't follow football, that's a compelling story to be told. It matters who wins this game for more than just what the score says at the end of the game. And I think a lot of those storylines in esports translate very well to a casual audience. And we just need to do a better job of conveying them to that audience. Yeah, that's just the, that's the drama of it, right? That's why we that's half the reason why we watch. It's the storylines. It's everything that's happening. And that, my friend, that is that has like NBA trade deadline written all over it. Like that kind of ridiculous man. That is fantastic. Shout out um, OG for for taking it home. I hope they gave their other friend a middle finger, too. because That is just <laughs> that is just so fantastic on that front and, and and i think right it's it's very important for people to understand like it's just sports man like that's all this is like it's all the same thing they're just playing a different game literally exactly. uh and I, I think the more people start to learn and understand that the more the younger generations start to get older right like i've played video games my entire life essentially all my friends played video games their entire lives it's just something that it's it's not that weird to us now our parents like my parents gave me my first you know, Nintendo, I had an NES that was my mom's, right? And then it broke and then we got a Super Nintendo. So I'm really, I watch every YouTube video on Mortal Kombat that I can because that was like the first video game I ever played. And it's the first one sucked, right? Like it was terrible. <laughs> and now you see what they've been able to do over the years and everything that's happening. And this movie that's coming out in a couple of days, like mm-hmm. I'm the only person I know that I'm like, I cannot wait to see this movie because I've paid attention to Mortal Kombat since I was like five. It's been something that I've loved and paid attention to and kept up. I haven't played every game, but I've kept up with all of it. I'm terrible at it. I love the lore and everything behind it. And and I know that's not esports, but it's just something like that is like so much easier for me to convey and talk about than it was for my parents to convey and talk about because they didn't really care about it. It was it was Super Mario World and that's about it, right? Like yeah. it was Donkey Kong and it was arcade games and those were fun, but there's no story. There's not as much compelling, um, you know, drama to it. And I think that that part makes it a lot easier and the more 
you and I and and you know the the younger generation and eventually our kids start to to it'll just be commonplace, right? It's just something that's there. And and one thing that I think is really interesting is you know video games always you know that what's the um, what's the trope? It's like a bunch of fifteen year old dudes sitting in a basement eating Doritos, drinking Mountain Dew. When in reality, we know these esports athletes, these athletes are like specimens, right? Like they are on a grind, but they have to be very well um, trained and they have to be healthy and they have to pay attention to recovery, just like regular athletes. And how have you seen that, especially on the business side? Like, because the, you know, I actually just had this argument the other day with some of my friends is, you know, the athletes of yesteryear were a joke compared to just like the median athlete of today, just because mm-hmm. we know more about science and, and health and, and recovery and working out. How have you seen that just aspect of esports grow over the last year, couple of years? Because the better those athletes become, the more people will watch, the more money will eventually get injected into all of these sports. Absolutely. And that is a natural evolution that we've seen in esports as well. Uh, you, you can, if you're still stuck in that uh, mindset of, you know, the South Park World of Warcraft episode yeah. and what those kids looked like grinding, I'd encourage you to Google two names, uh, Jinji and Sko from World of Warcraft, who can bench press you and I combined. Uh, there are, there are the, the stereotype of the gamer is not mm-hmm. the competitive gamer. Um, nearly every esports training facility today has a gym, has a full-time professional chef that is working on nutrition with the team. Most teams, in addition to those, uh, have you know conditioning coaches or workout routines that they expect their players to go through. They also have mental conditioning, coaching, and consulting. A lot of teams uh, have performance coaches. Uh, the there was a, t- a Counter-Strike dynasty that uh, there was a, a really good documentary that they put together that basically showed this team had a lot of talent but couldn't put it together until they got a, a mental health wellness coach. And then they won back to 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 back because their mental game uh-huh. had got right. Um, and then you look at this. It's the same thing as with chess. They've done studies that show that you actually burn a lot of calories if you're playing high level chess because your brain is working so hard. And then you take the, the mental game of chess, combine it with the reflexes needed to play a fighting game or a, or a shooter or something like that. And the amount of mental energy that players are expending in a 15 hour grind session of a tournament or of a practice session, the, these are highly skilled, serious competitors that are that need to take care of their bodies. They're they're not, uh, you know, they their sleep schedule may be from you know four in the morning until one p.m. But then they're getting up and going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, and when it, when did that change? Like, at what point? When did when did someone kind of come in and be like, hey guys, like let's figure some of this stuff out. We're not just playing video games, right? Like when, when was that kind of put into the esports landscape of, we have to really start to pay attention to that stuff. Cause I agree that South Park episode is hilarious, but it's, it's obviously very not true. When did that change? And when did you, at least from your experience, see that and, and really see that flip the, the switch flip? It's been fairly recent. I think a lot of it has been as more investment has come into the space. You you need to protect your assets. Winning remains the most important thing to do. You know, be, w- without franchising in a lot of these games, if you aren't winning, you're not relevant, and you might be kicked out of the league. Uh, and it, and we don't have a lot of the the 
protections in place for a team that is no longer relevant competitively to remain, you know, generating revenue. So it is extremely important that you win. And uh, some of that protection has improved recently, but you know, over the last five years, as the need to win in order to protect your investment grew, the need to invest more into allowing your players to win became a reality. And, and you know, it's, it's like anything else. There's always a copycat aspect to it. If someone's successful doing something, mm-hmm. everyone else will start doing it. Gaming houses weren't a thing. And then uh, the team in League of Legends moved to New York, won every tournament in North America for six months. And suddenly every North American team is in a gaming house. Uh, they move to practice facilities. One team has a practice facility. They win. Everybody has practice facilities. You get a mental health coach. You win. Everybody has a mental health coach. Uh, so there, there's been a very natural sort of evolution of that, um, both to retain your players and to protect your investment by keeping up with the competitive advantages that other teams have. And and you bring up that word investment a couple times because right there's a lot of money involved in esports, especially now. What like in terms of the pro teams and everything, like is it is it difficult to find revenue? Is like how do how does that aspect work? Talk to me a little bit about like sponsorship and finding investors. Like you said, that one team, OG, they're just like, no, we're gonna do this on our own. And then they all walk away with three million dollars. Shout out that team. But like how how is it? I guess what's like the normal again, I keep using normal. I apologize. I don't know what a better word to use. What's like the normal life cycle of one of these teams and to to come together to find investors, find sponsorships, start to do things stream like what what does that look like on the professional level take out streaming for a second because i actually want to separate that into another conversation but what is that aspect like for these teams to like go and find all this all these resources and revenue when it's it's just a bunch of dudes that are really really great at playing video games a lot of that honestly has flipped now uh, to where it used to be and a number of the, the biggest teams today are were started by some guy that won a bunch of prize money, put that into making a company, found sponsors, found advertising revenue, found investors and those sorts of things. But as more investors have come into the space through things like the Overwatch League, which nobody had, you know, it was reported to be like $25 million to buy into the Overwatch League. There's no dude playing, you know, even OG doesn't have $25 mm-hmm. million sitting around to from winning prize money to be able to pay for an Overwatch League spot. So that requires you to have outside investors, a, you know, a, the craft family or something like that. And then those investors are hiring general managers who are then putting together a team. So the norm now really is you've got an esports organization or a company, and then you sign players to that company that then compete in whatever games that you want to compete in. And that generates then interest in your Mm -hmm. organization, which is where you get your sponsorship revenue. Or if you're in a league that has some sort of profit sharing through media rights or sponsorships, there can be revenue generated that way, um, different partnerships and things. And that's actually where I think you you mentioned wanting to separate the streamer part of it. Part of the challenge with esports is you really can't. And that's Mm -hmm. been a conversation at the Esports Observer that we've had over the last three years has been how much, you know, Ninja streaming with Drake that's not esports, mm-hmm. but it did but... so much for the esports industry. We've got to cover it. And by the same token, 
every single relevant esports organization isn't just a collection of competitive teams. They also have streamers signed to their teams because what they really need are eyeballs and engagement numbers and followers on their social media channels to be able to translate that into value for sponsors. And you're getting that through your esports team that competes, but you're also going to get that by putting, you know, Red Bull's logo on a big streamer that streams to 20,000 people every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and again, I, I wanted to separate it because kind of the understanding is that Ninja is esports, but in reality, he's not really esports, right? He's a streamer. And, and it, there is like a little bit of nuance there for someone outside of the industry. For you, it's obviously very two different things. But for someone that's just kind of seeing it, it's just like, oh, Ninja, he's esports. He plays Fortnite and beats people like that's funny. But that's technically not esports, right? It, it it's a very murky line, and I think yeah. the there you, you could spend four hours talking about what is and isn't esports because you know is speed running. If I'm just sitting in my bedroom competing for the world record in Super Mario sixty four, am I esports? Well, now if I, I just, compete against somebody else, am I esports? I just watched one of those like literally yesterday. The just Super Mario World speed run. It's like nine. It breaks your brain in half. Doesn't it's it? insane. Like it's like why can't I be that good? All he's doing is jumping at the right time, but in reality, it's not even. <laughs> It's he, not even. He has made that jump about seven hundred thousand times. Yeah, and exactly. That's why he's that good at it. Um, and if you, you know, if you're watching this and you haven't played video games since the Super Nintendo days, go Google some speed runs of your favorite games and just have your brain broken because it's, uh, it's completely insane. It's but so that is really what we're learning, and what esports companies are learning is that competitive gaming is is just another entertainment vehicle. You know, it, we're we're not really only competing with with sports or anything else. We're competing with Netflix. We're competing with everything. And the Netflix CEO recognized that Fortnite is part of their competition. Um, it's all the gaming industry has so many different segments to it that are so directly linked with one another. You can't have a successful esport if the game doesn't sell. So games revenue, ga- the games industry, the profitability of Activision Blizzard affects the sustainability of the Overwatch League, affects what the next big esport is going to be. So the, these different segments of the industry are actually so closely intertwined with one another that it's actually very difficult to separate and say, this is esports, this isn't esports, because at the end of the day, if you want to make money in this space, you have to care about streaming, you have to care mm-hmm. about the success of video games themselves. You have to care about product integrations. You you have to care about all of these different things. And that's why one of the challenges we have at the Esports Observer is making those distinctions of what is and isn't esports. Yeah, it's essentially, as you, it's, it's, as you put it, it's like essentially all under the same umbrella, right? Like there are different pieces and they're not all exactly the same, but they all kind of are driving to this one point of let's just let's let's have people have more fun doing this right let people can make money they can have fun they can do interesting things and all of these things are going to contribute it's like a sweet venn diagram i think a couple different circles and we're right in the middle and just kind of that is what you guys essentially are paying attention to especially on the business side um also we should reach out to netflix about that movie i feel like they would green light that pretty darn quick so if you haven't already please trent let me be the first person to tell you. Put that down on a piece of paper, send it to them. They practically green light, green light everything at this point. So uh, a couple more questions here. Talking with Trent Murray of the Esports Observer, senior writer at the Esports Observer. Um, so we talked about investors a little bit. And as you said, like to create a team, right? To create a team, 
the barrier to entry seems like millions and millions and millions of dollars. And then someone like Activision Blizzard decides, well, let's make a league and let's have people pay us an absorbent amount of money to be a part of it because it's super hot right now. And people like Robert Kraft have $25 million that if he knew or knew it wasn't there, it wouldn't change his day at all. Right. And so how have you seen that aspect of it? Because right. It's not the NFL doesn't own all the footballs. Mm-hmm. Activision Blizzard owns the game so they can say what can and cannot be done. And that, 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 that adds like a weird different layer to all of this that I think people don't really realize. It's like, no, if there's a Call of Duty tournament, they know about it and like they're going to care about it and they're going to pay attention and they're going to make sure it's done essentially the way they want it to be done. There's a football game. The NFL's not coming to be like, guys, you're, <laughs> that was very clearly offside. You can't do that. So, <laughs> from your perspective of these publishers now kind of adding that extra layer where then they can say, it's like, oh no, we need $25 million for you to be a part of this that kind of throws a whole nother wrench into this thing. How have you, what, what is your thoughts and, and what have you seen, especially on the back end, you know, kind of behind the scenes, how that's been affecting the landscape a little bit more, because if we're starting to inject billionaires into this thing, they're then going to have a lot of power and they're going to almost have it done the way they want it done. Because of course it's all about money. So what have you seen on that end? And what are some of the positives and negatives that you see from something like that happening? Uh, the the Overwatch and Call of Duty leagues are definitely an outlier at this point. We have not seen that level okay. of engagement in any other esport, and the sustainability of the you know it's it's going to be five years before we know if that mm-hmm. works cool, cool, cool. or not. Okay. So if if that becomes the new normal, then we have a very different conversation um, about those sorts of things. But it is forever the the biggest challenge in esports is always going to be the fact that the guy who makes the game owns the footballs. You know, you, you cannot play a pickup game. Of, you, you know, you, you can't at your local rec center organize League of Legends without their permission mm-hmm. because they own the rights to the game. Um, and, and that creates a very different landscape for every game based on how that publisher approaches it. You know, for Overwatch... Activision Blizzard decided to take a very tightly controlled and basically eliminated your ability to create anything in the Overwatch ecosystem at a high competitive level that is not in their tightly controlled high investor activity model. Mm-hmm. Whereas you have something like Street Fighter where you and I can just go make a tournament and mm-hmm. Capcom kind of doesn't really care. And so it informs what your business strategy is, what games you go into as, you know, if, if I want, if you and I wanted, had a million dollars sitting around and wanted to start an esports team, we're not starting an Overwatch team because we don't, we can't buy into that league. We could go start a Counter-Strike team tomorrow. And if we go steal all of the best players, we could be the best Counter-Strike team and nobody can say anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it really, the relationship with the publisher drastically changes what the opportunities in that game are. And the attitude of the publisher is extremely important to the viability of those esports. What I think a lot of publishers are learning now, because the, the entire ecosystem of content creation around video games is so new that you have some companies like Nintendo that say you're showing footage of Mario, we're going to sue you for everything that you have. And then you have companies that don't care that you, you can make whatever you want with the assets from our game because it's, it's 
engagement. People now are talking about our game. That's free publicity that we didn't have to do anything for. And those conversations, I think, are just now starting to be had with esports of if I'm a game publisher, what is the most valuable use of my resources? Is it tightly controlling our esport and trying to generate a profit from it? Or is it pushing this ship off into the river and letting it flow where it's going to go without us having to spend any of our resources and all these other companies, all these other passionate people are going to make this esport happen, whether we do anything with it or not. And we're going to benefit from all of that extra publicity and attention on our game from a marketing and, perspective. And I feel like the latter, that was very much what it seems like, at least from my perspective, what Fortnite did, right? It mm -hmm. was just all the user generated content you can and then everybody wanted to play it and then anytime you got a victory royale like especially for that like six month period people were just going absolutely bonkers right on the internet and it's not quite the same as it was but it seems like that was more of the Fortnite thing and i think one thing that helps especially with user generated content right is this pandemic we're in people are kind of just stuck at home they don't have too much so they either dusted off their old xbox um started playing skyrim again like myself right like doing these things that i used to do but now i can't really leave my house like any day of the week it's obviously you know we've figured out and, and are a little bit smarter about it now but what have you seen especially on the business side especially on the business end of esports how has this propelled even further into the mainstream even further into dollars because right like one of the first things i remember doing was I'm going to download Twitch and I don't have baseball and apparently people are playing, you know, MLB the show or whatever the hell the game was. So I watched that for like a week trend mm -hmm. and wow, I watched a lot of MLB the show because I couldn't watch real baseball. And then there was the, um, you know, the, the NBA 2K league, which is much more uh, structured, right? They had all their competitions and I watched all of them and they even had it on ESPN, which was pretty bad, but I still watched it because I had nothing else to watch as a sports fan. I think it opened up the door, especially those first few months to people that weren't used to, or never really paid attention to it. That's when I downloaded Twitch. Like that's yep. how I got into it. Right. And then you saw, you know, big cat from Barstool. He played NCAA 2014 and had like 150,000 people watching him. And Patrick Mahomes was tweeting about it and all these actual athletes are paying attention to it right so like what what have you seen in terms of the pandemic especially those first few months and you know over the last year how has that raised risen not totally sure the correct term uh the the profile of esports and just gaming in general i think the the biggest thing that the pandemic did was it removed that conversation of why would you want to watch someone play a video game because now mm -hmm. we've all done it we we yep. see the viewership spikes for twitch we see gaming on ESPN, everyone trying to find some way to create engaging content uh, and gaming was sitting right there for them to do that through. We saw politicians leverage it through the, for the election. We, we saw so many different ways that Twitch and gaming content became part of the cultural zeitgeist. And so I, since then, I have not had to have that mm -hmm. initial conversation anymore. So I think we've moved one step further of the barrier to the average person being broken because, you know, a, a, a soccer mom now probably knows who Ninja is because her kid doesn't talk about Brad Pitt or whoever the, the mm -hmm. celebrity, I don't know celebrities. I, mm -hmm. I can tell you all about esports celebrities and Twitch celebrities. I can't tell you about actors anymore. Um, so we're going to say Brad Pitt. 
Um, you know, that kid doesn't know who Brad Pitt is, but he knows who Ninja is. He, he watches Ms. Kiff every single day. And Ms. Kiff is his favorite person. If he saw Brad Pitt and Ms. Kiff in a room, he would run to Ms. Kiff immediately and wouldn't and would ask Brad Pitt where the chips are. Um, so that level of converse, that conversation has completely shifted to we get that watching Twitch is interesting. We understand that these are the next generation celebrities. We, and now we understand that if we want to reach that generation, we have to go where they are because they're not coming back to us. Mm -hmm. And that's what the pandemic has done with everything. Nobody's going back to working from an office five days a week if they have any negotiating power in their job because they've proven they can do their job remotely. Nobody's going back to TV that found Twitch and fell in love with it and what likes on-demand content. They're not going back to a regularly scheduled weekly program uh, on on linear television if, if you canceled your cable subscription during the pandemic you ain't getting your cable subscription back unless you're just a real big diehard sports fan and that's the mm -hmm. only way you can consume sports content and amazon's coming for you and is going to be you know that they're in the boardrooms of every major sports league having a conversation about how they can broadcast going forward and mo the nfl would be crazy not to be at least entertaining those conversations because that's where all the next generation's eyeballs are um, so I think that's what really has happened is the pandemic has moved that needle forward where we figured these conversations would be starting five years from now. They went into overdrive during the pandemic and and knocked over a lot of those roadblocks that we still had to overcome to mm -hmm. get the general public on board with understanding that gaming has value, is where your kids are watching stuff, is where the next generation with money to spend on brands is going to be. If you want to talk to them, they're on Twitch, they're on YouTube, you got to go to them. And there's that real life engagement, right? Like there's that opportunity to actually talk to the the chat, right? That's my favorite thing. You know, I've done a live stream uh, with a buddy of mine on on you know the NBA uh, fantasy and, and betting space every single day for the last couple months, and it's, it's everybody in the chat talking shit to them, and they're talking shit back, and we're having a conversation. And there's that real life engagement that I think you know that that you're obviously not going to get with TV or movie stars, right? And and I think that is so so huge, especially for kids, right? Yeah, and that's something that I think is going to also be really interesting for the, the traditional sports space is during the pandemic, we've seen a number of sports figures, Austin Eckler being one of the most prominent, uh, launch their own Twitch channels and start to directly connect with their fans, not having to go through, you know, an autograph line or, mm -hmm. you know, stand, you know, be mobbed on the street or only connect with them by being interviewed by the press in a game. He can get his personal brand out there, his message directly to the people that like him grow his own brand under his own control in a way that sports figures could never have done outside of the area, the era of social media and streaming. And I think you're going to see a lot more of that going forward. I don't think we're going to regress on that as brands also recognize this guy not only can be in my commercial that goes on TV, but he's got his own brand and his mm -hmm. own followers. And the level of engagement that you have as a brand with a sponsor, as with a sponsorship with a streamer, the level of engagement there is so much higher than with a passive commercial on TV that and you can generally do it for cheaper because you're going mm -hmm. to one person rather than doing a big media buy. Uh, the the value there is astronomical. 
Yeah. And, and there's obviously a lot of positives to that. And as we've seen recently, there's actually some negatives to it as well. Uh, so you really have to pay attention to what you say on stream, kids. Don't, don't, be, <laughs> don't be stupid. We just had Miles Leonard or Myers Leonard uh, say some dumb shit on the Internet, which is not good. Uh, back in the beginning, we'll call it, of the pandemic, Blake Snell was coming out and he was pretty much kind of giving us an inside to what the hell was happening with the Major League Baseball. Uh, labor negotiations, which was really, really interesting. And it turns out the MLB is just a bunch of, um, you know, old, old dudes that suck. So that is, that is what it is. Um, last thing I want to talk about here and, you know, hopefully you do have a couple minutes cause mm-hmm. I kind of feel like an ass if we cut this part short, but, uh, women in esports, I think mm-hmm. is something that is, is gaining a lot of steam. I know a lot of people, again, going over to our friends at that eFuse, they have, uh, women of the arena that they do on a weekly or a monthly basis. I apologize. I don't remember exactly what it is, but they're always, trying to make sure that that girls and women are really becoming part of esports and and streaming what have you seen i know you've written some pieces on it i can even potentially put some of those down below in in the um in the uh in the show notes as well but what have you seen on that end and how much women in esports and gaming has grown especially over the year 3 years in this space and and the positives that are coming from just diversification and new ways of thinking and you know guys just not totally being assholes all the time like what have you seen on that end that is, for me, the most exciting thing about esports for the long term is there. There is no physical barrier in esports. You know, a, a, women getting into the National Football League is an entirely separate conversation that's very difficult to have and has a lot of nuance to it. Anyone can click on heads in Counter Strike. It, it doesn't matter. You don't need to have a certain muscular structure to you. Uh, you can be 300 pounds, you can be 100 pounds, you can be male or female, it does not matter. So all of those barriers are gone. So what that means is the only thing we have to do is remove the cultural barriers. And w- there's a lot of work, obviously, to be done b- with that. The harm of video games are for boys that started in the 80s is long lasting and is going to take a lot of work to undo. But it's already starting and it's getting more and more exciting because there are just a lot of women that play video games that we, we know the demographics, we know the numbers, it's continuing to grow. Uh, there are more women that play games than you think there are. And there are some incredibly talented women that are competing at some of the highest levels. Uh, one of the best rainbow six teams in the world has, uh, is a co-ed team that has a woman on it that is competing at the highest level. They're a cloud nine, one of the big North American esports organizations signed an all women Valorant team that is competing alongside all of the male dominated teams at the professional level. Uh, there's a lot of investment at the school, at the college level in getting women more interested in esports and providing spaces that are safe from the toxicity of voice chats. Um, because as we all know, the anonymity of the internet has allowed people the excuse to say truly horrific things mm-hmm. to women. And that certainly exists in gaming. I don't think it's unique to gaming. I think it is uniquely difficult to deal with in gaming because there is so much anonymity on your screen name in a random video game that you're just on a voice call to to play or being able to type horrific things to somebody. So full credit to the women that are, are paving the way and enduring the things that they have to endure. Um, but I think one thing that's been, that that is being invested in right now and, and a lot of credit goes to Riot Games, who's been in the news for a lot of problematic things that their company culture has had with with treatment of women, but their esports division is certainly stepping up to create 
and invest in women's esports in a way that we've already seen uh, cre create new teams. And uh, there was a great story uh, this week. Uh, Valorant had a big women's only tournament with a $50,000 prize pool. Hell yeah. And uh, Cloud9 won it because they're the best women's team and they're, they have the investment of a coach and all the resources of a professional team that most women's teams don't have. The runner-up team was a team named Moon Raccoons because they just wanted esports team names are the best. Uh, <laughs> it's it's just true. Um, and I, I saw on Twitter a guy whose uh, young daughter who plays Valorant a little bit on the side watched and saw that this team of five women was doing incredible things, had a funny team name, and now she wants to be a professional esports player. And, you know, we're seeing the same things that happened with when women broke barriers in American Ninja Warrior. And we saw a massive surge of women getting into CrossFit and, you know, ninja style athletics. We're seeing the same things start to happen with esports and the women that are paving the way there. So there's a ton of work left to do, but it's an opportunity not only, you know, morally of of creating more diversity but from a business perspective there's so much opportunity as more women get into the space and it becomes a safer space for women that i'm extremely excited to see develop right like the more diversity like there's multiple multiple millions maybe not millions that's excessive there's a lot of studies that say the more diverse a a, a group of people is the better the outcome comes whatever you're trying to get to right and, and so i think it's really important and i think it's it's fantastic that women are starting to kind of break that barrier of, of video games are for guys. Uh, it's kind of a dumb one. And as you yeah. said, like, it doesn't matter about your body structure. It doesn't matter. Like, as you said, anybody can click on heads, which I think is an awesome quote, by the way. I think that's actually <laughs> fantastic. Like, who cares what you look like or who you are? And it, it doesn't matter. And I think it's uh, on, only positive things can come from it. But yeah, to all the people on the internet that just say mean things, uh, stop it. Like, I just don't, I don't know, man, like that part of the internet just confuses the hell out of me. I hate it. I think it's ridiculous. People are just the worst. And I just, I don't get it, man. I don't get it. It's ridiculous. Just stop being an asshole. I think that's as easy as it is. But Trent, I've had you for a long time. This has been absolutely fantastic. Sincerely, sincerely appreciate your time. Trent, where can everybody find some of your work, find you on the internet, maybe engage with you a little bit? Do you have a, what's your Twitch handle? stream him. I don't know what the hell it's called, whatever. Uh, Tell me where we can find you. Yeah, absolutely. So I, all of my uh, content is on the uh, esportsobserver.com and the esports observer. Uh, I do a column on Fridays with my opinion content, which is where you can find things like the, the storylines for Hollywood movies and, and those sorts of things. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Trent underscore esports. Uh, happy to chat with anybody there. Um, that's probably the best place that you'll, you'll find me. Um, and yeah, it really enjoyed chatting with you. I, I can always talk for hours about esports and how exciting the space is. Uh, and it's only going to keep getting more amazing. Can't wait, man. Sincerely, sincerely appreciate your time. You can find me at Michael Rosio one, please collect, connect with me on LinkedIn. Cause that's where I do most of my damage, but I hope you all make a very, thank you again to Trent one more time. I'll put all of that information that he said, we'll put it down in the show notes so you can check that out, but sincerely appreciate your time today, Trent. Thank you so much. Absolutely. A pleasure. Bye everybody.